0: Welcome to the 159th podcast, and the 129th is a a city-on-a-hill church. With Pastor Mike moving on to the executive pastor role at Calvary Chapel, Visalia, we've become a satellite church of CCV. During this pandemic, in a very real sense, we've all become satellite churches in our own home. On this Resurrection Sunday, may each one of those churches unite and become the one true church with our eyes focused steadfastly on our risen Lord, Jesus Christ. Here to bring the reality of that miraculous event right
1: into your homes is Pastor Michael Clark. Well, good morning and happy Resurrection Sunday to all of you, uh, from all of us here at Calvary Chapel of Visalia. We're so blessed that you have decided to join us for our Easter service this morning, and we are celebrating uh, here uh, as we are worshiping with you there in your home from here. Um, we are going to get right into our worship time here. Let's ask the Lord's blessing upon our service this morning. Father, thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, that the tomb this morning is still empty as it has been for the last 2,000 years. Because Jesus, you are alive. We thank you, Father, for the living hope that we have through faith in Jesus Christ that we know that we too will conquer death and sin and hell because you have conquered death and sin and hell. And we celebrate that fact. We celebrate this truth this morning. Bless now our service. Bless everyone who's tuning and watching. Uh, just a special blessing and anointing upon your people today. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Uh, again, a happy Easter as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in this unusual sort of a fashion where we're not all gathering here together uh, in one place. We're gathering um, wherever we are. And yet we are still one church. We are still one body and we are still together on this Easter, uh, Sunday morning. Okay, we're gonna get into the message here, this wonderful Resurrection Sunday morning. If you are, uh, able to open your Bibles, if you have a Bible there at home, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5 is gonna be our uh, starting point here. We're not gonna spend long, uh, in this passage, but it'll be a springboard into the message. 1 Peter chapter 1, Verses three to five, and the message is entitled A Living Hope, A Living Hope. First Peter, chapter one and verse three. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled. And it does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Once again, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. And Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask God that you would write your word upon our hearts, Lord. You would encourage everyone who's hearing this message to keep our eyes fixed on you, our living hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are begotten, it says. God has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, from the dead. And so we uh serve a living savior. We worship a living lord. He's alive, the tomb is empty in Jerusalem. I've been there to where they think uh where the tomb is. I've been to both places, the Garden Tomb and the Sepulcher Church and uh uh, certainly, Jesus is not there. There's no bones. There's no body because Jesus was raised on the third day. As a matter of fact, the fact that Jesus is raised from the dead uh, is the most significant event in all of human history. It's probably one of the most uh, evidentially proven events in all of human history. Uh, there are ey- eyewitness accounts, numerous eyewitness accounts. There are people who were terrified uh, of being next and being sent to, as it were, uh, their own crosses, uh, his disciples. They were terrified. They were in hiding when Jesus was taken and he was betrayed and he was brutally tortured and he was murdered and he was buried. And the only explanation as to why we even know who the name of Jesus Christ is today in America in the year 2020 and really all over the world is because Jesus came back from the dead. And his disciples were then unstoppable, those who were terrified, fearful, hiding for their lives. Once Jesus was raised from the dead, they were filled with confidence and boldness because they know if death can't stop Jesus and I'm in him and I'm serving him and all of his promises for me are true, then death can't stop me either. And so uh, the fact that Jesus is raised from the dead is is certainly the most significant event in all of human history. Uh, had he not been raised from the dead, had the tomb not been empty that first Easter Sunday morning, not only would we not know his name and there would be no such thing as the church on planet Earth for the last 2000 years, but our world would be a very, very different place. Jesus Christ, because of Christianity and the faith of Christianity, has changed the world. Uh, and it would be a very different world if Jesus was not raised from the dead. Certainly, it would be a much more dangerous, dark and scary world. As bad as things are now, uh, they could be a lot worse. And the church is still that salt and light that preserves what's righteous and shines the bright light into darkness in order to be the church of Jesus Christ on planet Earth. And we uh, have a duty, we have a responsibility to let our light shine and to preserve, as salt does, to preserve that which is right and true and righteous. And imagine again, if there were no Christians on planet Earth, how bad this Earth would be. Uh, But because Jesus is alive Uh, We worship him this morning and we once again celebrate this most important day uh, in all of human history, remembering the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, Jesus taught his disciples over and over again that his death would be necessary. It was a necessity. If man was ever going to have hope of having his sins forgiven and having fellowship restored with God, uh, Jesus had to die on the cross. His death was necessary. His burial was necessary and his resurrection was necessary. It had to happen this way. Jesus told his disciples at one point, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale, so too Jesus, he says, the son of man shall be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Now, the story of Jonah was that this man was swallowed by a whale. He was a rebellious prophet, stubborn prophet, didn't want to go and preach to Nineveh. Uh, They threw him overboard in the middle of a storm in the middle of the ocean. and A whale or a big fish swallowed him Uh, and he was there three days and three nights. And then the whale spit him out on the shore and he went and he preached to Nineveh. Uh, and Jesus says, that's that's a, a type of what I'm going to do. Uh, it's very possible that Jonah died in the belly of the whale and he was resurrected by God. And that's why Jesus refers to that as a story that's going to be comparable to his story. Uh, he would not be, as it were, in the belly of a great fish for three days and three nights. He would be in the heart of the earth and his body would be buried for three days and three nights in a tomb. And yet, even as Jonah came out of the belly of the whale after three days and three nights, so too Jesus Christ came out of the tomb. He told his disciples, this must happen this way. This is how salvation uh, is going to be procured and made possible for mankind. He had to die. He had to be buried and he had to be resurrected uh, from the dead. In John chapter 2, and you're welcome to flip there with me. You don't have to hold your place there uh, in Peter. In John chapter 2, Jesus said this. John chapter 2, verse 19. Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, the unbelieving Jewish leaders there, said... It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. And so Jesus oftentimes, numerous times, prophesied and predicted his death and his resurrection. He says, destroy this temple, speaking of his body, not speaking of the physical, literal temple that was there uh, in Jerusalem at the time. And as a matter of fact, this is one of the accusations they brought up against him when they brought him up uh, for that uh, kangaroo court in the middle of the night, the illegal proceedings to arrest him and charge him falsely was they said that he had made a threat against the temple. And this is one reason why he deserved to die, because he said this statement, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. He didn't say that he was going to destroy anything. In in essence, they were going to destroy him. And yet he says, in three days I will be raised from the dead. In John chapter 12, Jesus at one point said, if a grain of wheat does not die, it remains alone. But if the grain of wheat is planted in the ground and it dies, it brings forth much fruit. And so Jesus, again, speaking of his death, his burial and his resurrection, like a seed that's planted in the ground, once it's planted, it begins to germinate and it grows a tree and that tree bears a whole bunch of fruit, uh, 50, 100, 200, 200 a thousand times over the lifetime of a tree and a seed that's planted. You imagine all the fruit that grows from that one seed, that original seed. And Jesus is saying that's like my body, which is being planted in a tomb, like a seed being planted in the ground. I have to die. I have to be buried. And then I will come back to life and I will bear much fruit. And indeed, he has borne much fruit. In John chapter three, Jesus is speaking to Uh, a leader of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. John chapter 3 and verse 3, Jesus tells him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then he goes on to say in verse 13 of John chapter 3, No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven, speaking of himself, He says this in verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life for God. So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so Jesus uh, basically tells Nicodemus, this ruler of the Jews, this ruler of the Pharisees, uh, you have to be born again. If you want to see the kingdom of heaven, if you want to get to heaven, you must be born again. He's speaking of the rebirth, the spiritual rebirth When we believe and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, His Holy Spirit comes to take up residence within us and we are born again. We are born, as it were, from above. And then we have healing, we have restoration, we have forgiveness of our sins, and we have harmony once again With our Creator. You see, we're all born dead to God. We're born in this world in our sins. And the wages of sin is death. In sin, my mother conceived me, the psalmist said. We are born with original sin. We're all separated from God because of our sin nature. So Jesus says, if you want to get to heaven, if you want to have harmony and fellowship with your Creator, you must be born again. You must be born of the Spirit. Born from above. And then He talks about uh, the fact that he has come down from heaven. Uh, no one has ascended, verse 13, to heaven, but he who has come down from heaven. Jesus knows what he's talking about when he talks about heaven. He knows what, he talk, what he's talking about when he talks about a place called hell because Jesus knows he came from heaven. He didn't start here on this earth like all the rest of us. He came down and took a human body. So when he speaks authoritatively about heaven, about hell, Jesus knows these things for fact. He knows them firsthand. And again, because Jesus conquered death, He has victory and power even over death. Therefore, we can trust what he says to us in his word. He says, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who has come down from heaven. That is the son of man who is in heaven, speaking of himself. Then he gives this interesting illustration and comparison of himself that nobody ever would have thought of if Jesus didn't come up with this and tell us this. We would have never put this together as being a type or a shadow or a prefiguring of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. Verse 14 of John chapter three, Jesus says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Interesting, Jesus is comparing himself himself. To a serpent on a pole that was held up in the middle of the wilderness by their forefather, the lawgiver Moses. Now, if you go back and you read the story again uh, back in the law in the book of Numbers in chapter 21, I'll read it to you quickly here. Uh, You know, you never would have put this together that this was a shadow or a type or a prefiguring of the Messiah that was to come. But indeed it was. And it is because Jesus tells us so. In Numbers chapter 21 and verse 4, we read this about this story of the serpents in the wilderness. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and there is no water and our soul loathes this worthless bread. They're speaking of the manna, the miracle food that God was providing for them. They weren't happy with God's provision. So the Lord sent, verse six, fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you, pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set on it a pole or set it on a pole rather. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent. He put it on a pole. And so it was if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. They were dealing with a the plague. They were dealing with a pestilence among their people. It was killing people left and right. People were dying, dropping like flies. Uh, does it sound familiar today, guys, to what we're hearing in the media, the daily body count of uh, the coronavirus, COVID-19 and so forth? Uh, this was uh, caused clearly by a judgment of God against his people or a chastening of God against his people in the story here. I'm not saying the coronavirus is, is the same, uh, although we certainly do deserve God's judgment as a planet and uh, as a nation and so forth. But uh, this in the, in Numbers 21, this clearly was a judgment of God against his people because of their griping, their complaining, and their basically their dissatisfaction with God's a provision for their lives, so God sends these fiery serpents among the people. The people are terrified. Everyone that gets bit by the serpent is dying, and then God gives a very strange sort of an instruction to his man, Moses, as to how to stay the plague, how to heal the people, how to stop them from dying and dropping like flies from the bites of these serpents God interesting didn 't take the serpents away. Uh, God didn't uh, uh, call down fire from heaven and burn all the serpents up. I mean, he didn't open the earth and swallow all the serpents. God could have done a lot of things, uh, but he didn't take the serpents away. The serpents were still there. The people were still being bit. And if they didn't do what God prescribed, they would die because of the bite of the poisonous serpents. And interesting, bronze being the medal of judgment in the Old Testament, the altar, uh, the bronze labor, everything related to the sacrificial system in the temple and in the tabernacle before the temple was built, everything was bronze when it had to do with judgment or with God's wrath upon sin. And so he says, make a bronze, speaking of judgment, the medal of judgment, a pole and make a bronze fashion, a bronze snake and put it on the end of the pole. And I don't think that the picture that we see in the hospitals where the serpent is slithering up the pole and it's there in the elevator. I don't think this is exactly the same story. I think that the story of the serpent on the pole in the hospitals with the serpent slithering up it is actually from the Greeks where they used to take people into these snake houses when they were sick and they'd slither all over these sick people and they believed that they would get healed. I think that's where, uh, if you look that up, I'm sure you'll find that's true on Wikipedia, that it's not necessarily the serpent on the pole that Jesus is referring to, that Moses uh, is recording for us. I believe that it's probably the picture would be a pole that stabs the snake, not a snake slithering up the pole and they're happy and friendly and it's going to heal you. But the, but the pole is stabbing the snake and the snake is dead and you're lifting the snake up and it's it's hanging on the pole dead. I think that's more of the picture. Uh, and the interesting thing is, is when Jesus refers to this story, he's saying that that's like me. I'm like the serpent on the pole that's being judged, that's being lifted up from the earth. John chapter three, verse 14. And anyone who looks to me will be healed. Anybody who looks to me will be saved. So we know that this is tr- a true story in numbers, but it's also a type of Jesus Christ. The serpent represents always does represent in the Bible sin and represents Satan, that Satan was the serpent in the beginning. He was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. He got Adam and Eve to disobey God, to bring death, disease, sickness and really hell upon all of mankind. Uh, and then he cre- uh, he caused the first brother to murder his other brother, Cain and Abel. And so he was a liar. He told Eve, you shall not surely die if you disobey God. And he tempted king uh, to murder his brother Abel. He's a liar and he's a murderer from the beginning. And so the snake speaks not of of Jesus. The snake speaks of Satan, the one who has slithered his way into this world and causes all of us to sin against God. And as such, we bring a death penalty against ourselves because we're all sinners. We can't help ourselves. We're going to die because we're born into sin. And yet, Jesus says, as the serpent, the bronze serpent by Moses was lifted up and everybody who looked upon the serpent on the pole was healed of their pestilence of their disease. So, too, if I am lifted up, he says, I will bring healing to people that look to me for healing of the greatest disease that we all suffer from, which is not the coronavirus disease or any other disease. The greatest disease that we all suffer from, the youngest to the oldest, is the fact that we're sinners and our sin has a 100% mortality rate. We're all going to die as a result. It's interesting that Jesus in fulfillment of this prophecy, he became sin on the cross of Calvary. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, 2 Corinthians 5:21, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God made him who knew no sin To become sin for us, Jesus became sin. He became the serpent on the pole, bronze, the medal of judgment. Jesus was hanging on the cross as a judgment against sin. But all who would look upon him from that day on the cross of Calvary 2000 plus years ago or around 2000 years ago, uh, here we are today. We still look to the cross. We still look to Jesus Christ and we are healed and we are saved and we are forgiven of all of our sins by trusting in his sacrifice for us upon the cross. In Isaiah, chapter 53, we're told there in Isaiah about the suffering servant. And this is one of the greatest prophecies. Uh, in the Old Testament about Jesus Christ. I mean, you read Isaiah 53. Uh, we have the Dead Sea Scrolls. This was written well before uh, even the copies that we have uh, of the Isaiah scroll were written before Jesus Christ. Hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. This was originally written probably 750 years before Jesus was born. But the copies we have are easily a couple hundred years B.C., uh In uh, the museums, the Isaiah scroll, the Dead Sea Scrolls. And so this was written before Jesus was here. And yet it describes perfectly uh, who he was and how he died and even how he would live uh, again. We read in Isaiah 53, verse three. He is des- despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Doesn't that just break your heart when you read that? Thinking this is describing Jesus when he was here. He was despised. He was rejected. He was sad. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. Verse six. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Written seven hundred and fifty years before Christ, describing perfectly the serpent on the pole that would be raised up where Jesus says, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself because Jesus took the iniquity of us all. This is really written by the Jewish perspective. It's probably going to be a prayer that the Jews are going to pray when Jesus comes back. At the end of the tribulation period in order to set up his kingdom and to save the Jews, Israel, from the Antichrist, which, by the way, we're getting very close, I believe, uh, to these events, these end times events. Uh, so much happening in, in, around the world. It's a uh, fulfillment of prophecy. It's, it's incredible and unbelievable, actually, uh, including this coronavirus disease. But uh it's these are the Jews who were saying we thought this he was despised. He was rejected. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we, the Jews, did not esteem him. Uh, they, he carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. They thought it was God's judgment that he was crucified until, of course, uh, he was alive again after three days and he rose from the dead. He says, continuing in verse seven. Isaiah 53, seven, he was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. He was stricken. And so his death is prophesied. His suffering is prophesied. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was going to suffer and he suffered greatly. He was tortured and he hung there brutally beaten and nailed to a cross with a crown of thorns dug into his skull. And he hung there and he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. All of this was predicted to happen. In the Old Testament, Jesus didn't defend himself. He didn't make any defense a lamb that's led to the slaughter because Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He came in fulfillment of the Passover lamb that the angel of death will pass over. If you have the blood of the lamb upon your house, your firstborn will be spared. That was a picture and a type of Jesus Christ and his blood, which spares us from death, eternal death, which is separation from God in hell for all eternity. His blood. He's the lamb of God. That takes away the sins of the world and yet he did not make a defense for himself. He went willingly as a lamb to the slaughter. We read in verse nine, they made his grave with the wicked. But he was with the rich at his death. Remember, he had two criminals on either side of him, uh, two thieves, one on his right hand, one on his left. He certainly indeed uh, was killed with the wicked. And yet he was with the rich at his at his death. Joseph of Arimathea took his body down and prepared it and buried it there uh, on that Good Friday in his own tomb. And so he, uh, Joseph of Arimathea was the rich man. All of these things were predicted and happened exactly as were prophesied. Because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. He was innocent. He didn't deserve to die. But he went willingly to the cross. Verse 10 says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him or to crush him. He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Now, wait a second. How could he see his seed? Those who would come after. Remember the seed that's planted that grows into a big tree and produces lots of fruit. That's Jesus' body when he was buried. It's like a seed in the ground. And he shall see his seed. Those are going to come forth from his uh, from his resurrection. And he shall prolong his days. How are his days prolonged? He was cut off from the land of the living. This is speaking of his resurrection. So he wasn't just going to stay in the grave. It was predicted. It was prophesied. It was foretold that he would see his seed, that his days would be prolonged. Even after his death, he would be alive. Verse 11 says he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge My righteous servant shall justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. And so he died. He suffered. He was a substitution for us. We deserve to be the ones that are judged by God for our sins. And yet Jesus, the sinless one, the sinless lamb of God without spot or blemish, was willing to take our sins upon himself and the punishment for our sins upon the cross in order to conquer sin, to conquer death and to conquer hell and to give His people, salvation and eternal life, because he's justifying many. I'm one of those that he's justified, and I'm sure so are you this Easter Sunday morning. Indeed, he has justified many by his sacrifice and his substitutionary atonement on the cross of Calvary. In Psalms chapter 22 and verse one, another amazing psalm about the Messiah and about the suffering of the Messiah even specifically predicting how he would be killed. Psalm chapter 22 and verse one says this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? You will remember that Jesus said this when he was hanging on the cross. He was nailed to the cross with these nails driven into his hands and to his feet. It was a torturous, terrible way to die. As a matter of fact, Uh, The idea of nailing someone to a tree as a method of capital punishment and execution was unheard of. Uh, At this point in the ancient world, when David, the psalmist, wrote this psalm uh, a thousand years or so before Christ was born, there was no such thing as crucifixion. And we're going to see here that the crucifixion is laid out in great detail a thousand years before it happened. And, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years before anybody even conceived the idea of killing somebody by nailing them to a cross. And yet Jesus called out from the cross, my God. My God, why have you forsaken me? Many Bible scholars believe that Jesus was telling his disciples what was happening because this whole Psalm, as we're going to see in a minute, we'll read through it quickly for the sake of time, but it's speaking about Jesus specifically, his crucifixion and his resurrection. And so when Jesus is saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me in the, in the minds of all of his followers and those who would come after him, they're going to think, wait a second, that's the first verse of Psalm 22. I need to go read Psalm 22. So Jesus was kind of giving them a message, a coded message. Go read Psalm 22. That's what's happening right now to me on the cross of Calvary. He says this in verse six of Psalm 22. I am a worm and I am not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people All those who see me, they ridicule me, they shoot out their lip, they shake their head, saying he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Jesus refers to himself here as a worm. A worm is helpless. A worm can't defend itself a worm can't even get away from somebody that wants to hurt it. A worm is totally at the mercy of whoever comes around and sees the worm there uh, in front of them. Interesting that Jesus calls himself a worm, but the Bible says that the devil is a snake. He's a serpent, slithering, crafty, waiting, striking, hiding. And uh and and, and yet Jesus uh he's just he says I'm a worm. I can't do anything to defend myself. I can't help Uh, myself at all in this situation. I'm at totally at their mercy and they hate me, they despise me, they ridicule me, they mock me. He continues in verse 11 skipping ahead. Be not far from me for trouble is near. For there is none to help. Indeed, there was none to help Jesus on the cross. He says, many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. Many uh, Bible scholars believe that Jesus here prophetically, it's speak, this is speaking of the demons in the demonic realm that were celebrating his death upon the cross. The strong bulls of Bashan uh, have encircled me. He says in verse 14, I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. Uh, being hung on a cross was really the most torturous way to kill somebody, probably that they've ever really invented. Uh It is so cruel. And, you know, you hang there and. Uh, They have the nails into your hands. Your arms would go numb. You wouldn't be able to feel your shoulders anymore. You'd have a hard time breathing. You would you wouldn't be able to hold yourself up. So you would slouch down and then you wouldn't be able to get a full breath of air in your lungs. So you literally would suffocate to death slowly over a period of hours and days. People would hang on the cross before they died. Uh, and so it's saying here that his bones are out of joint. That's exactly what would happen if somebody was crucified. Their bones would just be all pulled out of socket as they hung there and the weight of their bodies pulled them down to the ground. And they were trying to stand up in order to take a breath. He says, my heart is like wax. It's melted within me. You remember his heart was broken his heart had literally exploded when they came with the spear and they stabbed him in his side. They didn't break his bones because the prophecy said not one bone of his would be broken. And indeed, not one bone of his was broken on the cross, although his bones were all out of joint. But they stabbed him in the heart rather than breaking his legs as they broke the legs of the two other criminals uh, and blood and water came rushing out. Uh, which are the fluids of birth or the fluids of really of the church. Blood and water was the, the birth of the church there on the cross of Calvary. Uh, the, the blood uh, speaking of the communion, the water speaking of the baptism, so much symbolism there. Jesus also talked about the blood and the water uh, being born again from above in John chapter three when he was speaking with Nicodemus. But his heart was like wax. It was melted within him. And when they stabbed him with the sword, uh, the blood and the water came out of his side. He says, my strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. This, again, is perfect description of crucifixion because he would have been bleeding, bleeding, bleeding from when they beat him. Uh, his back ripped open with the cat of nine tails, scourged him with thirty nine lashes when they beat him up, when they drove the crown of thorns into his head, then they nailed his hands and his feet to the cross. He would have been dehydrated, all the blood going out of his body. He said, I thirst when he hung there on the cross. This was written a thousand years before the event happened. Verse 16. He says, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. If you don't believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, how do you explain these prophecies that were predicted a thousand years before he lived that describe exactly his crucifixion? They pierced my hands and my feet. In David's time, when David wrote this, they didn't even have an idea of crucifixion. They would stone people to death who were guilty of breaking the law. Capital punishment was a death by stoning, not a death by crucifixion. And yet this is Jesus. The prophet David was speaking as Jesus here. Exactly what happened to Jesus 2000 years later. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them, my clothing they cast for lots. Remember the soldiers? They basically threw dice for his clothes. This was predicted also. He says in verse 19, but you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the wild horns of the wild or the horns of the wild oxen. So he's crying out to God here in this psalm. Jesus is crying out for God's help as he's hanging on the cross, pierced in his hands and his feet. And then he says, and you have answered me. And so the death of Jesus on the cross was not the end. God answered this prayer and God saved Jesus and resurrected Jesus Christ on the third day on that first Easter Sunday morning. He says, you have answered me. You've answered my cry. He says, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction, the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard. This is the resurrection, his death, his crucifixion, his resurrection. It's all predicted it was all prophesied to happen this way, and it did happen this way. He says, my praise shall be of you, verse 25, in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. And really, this is Jesus celebration of victory over death, that his atonement satisfied The wrath of God, the propitiation of our sins was put upon him. God's wrath was satisfied upon his son when he judged sin upon his son, upon the cross of Calvary. And so now we're the poor, blessed are the poor in spirit. We're the poor who are eating and satisfied. We're the ones who seek the Lord, who praise the Lord, those who have come after him because he has conquered death. He says, all the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you for the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over all of the nations. And indeed, the gospel message has gone out to every nation all over the world, even as this was predicted to happen. The whole world knows the name of Jesus Christ because Jesus conquered death that first Easter Sunday morning. There's there's so much more here, guys, that I would uh love to go through with you. I encourage you go read Psalm 118 for the sake of time. We're not going to go there, but Psalm 118 is a third Old Testament prophecy that details Jesus' death and his resurrection. So uh, I encourage you to read that. So Psalm 118, Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22, all written hundreds And even a thousand years on Psalm 22, before the birth of Jesus Christ, before his death on the cross and before his resurrection. Yet all of those prophecies were fulfilled perfectly by Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection on the third day. Again, as we go back to where we started in First Peter, chapter one and verse three, because of all of this that God has done for us as his people, this Easter of 2020, we could say this along with our brother Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Indeed, we serve a risen Savior. He's alive. The angel told the people that were there at his tomb, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's alive. And indeed, he is alive forevermore. And he is going to come back again. He promised if I go, I will come again uh, and I will receive you unto myself that where I am there, you may be also. So we're looking for the return of Jesus Christ. It's been uh, two thousand years. The Bible says a day is like a thousand years to God. A thousand years is like a day. So it's only been a couple of days since Jesus left and went to heaven and said, I'm coming back again. And Jesus asked the question, he said, when I return to the earth, will I find any faith when I return to the earth? Will I find any faith? And uh, and we can answer definitively. Yes, Jesus, you find faith on the earth among us and among your people this morning. We celebrate uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the good news of the gospel message.
0: Email us at podcast at gmail.com. We would be honored to pray for you, as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church to Hatchipe, California.